Doxological Counseling on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions to the problems that people face. This week on the podcast, I have with me Omri Miles. Omri's a pastor of Grace Bible Church in Tempe, Arizona. He holds a Master of Arts degree in Biblical Counseling from the Master's University and a Master of Divinity degree from the Expositors Seminary. Currently serves as the director of one of our certified training centers, Biblical Counseling of the East Valley. And he lives in Phoenix with his wife, Emily, and their five children. Brother, it's so good to have you here. You've been a frequent breakout speaker for us and looking forward to your breakout coming up in the future as well. So grateful to, to now finally have you on the podcast. Yeah, this is great. Thank you for having me, Dale. Now, I, I'm going to need a little bit of an explanation on where we're going here for the doxological counseling. And so I think maybe for everyone else, I, I understand what doxology means. I understand what counseling means. And I can't wait to hear how you're going to describe what that means when we put it together. So what do you mean, Omri, by this term, doxological counseling? Doxological, that word uh, really just means having to do with worship or praise. And so I like to think about that actually happening in counseling. That is what counseling is about. And so doxological counseling is really instructing worshipers to the praise and glory of God. That's a little bit of a double meaning The way I like to think of it is that the counselor in counseling is doing that very thing. His very act of counseling is an act of worship. So when we're instructing others, we're intending all of our instruction to be to the praise and glory of God. We want God to be known. We want to put his great character on display in our counseling. And so we enter into the counseling process as worshipers ourselves. But then the end of counseling, what we actually want to help our counselees do in counseling and what they take away from counseling is be better worshipers of God. And so they live really as a result of our counseling, we hope, is people who more effectively display the glory of God. This is why we exist. And so counseling should be in keeping with that singular purpose. I love that. I think that really places biblical counseling in its proper context, right? Because I think sometimes we start asking questions about what all we need to include and and what we're open to relative to counseling and and that sort of thing from outside of the scriptures and and all of that language. But really at base, your, your starting point is to say, okay, let's ask God what the purpose of humanity is. We were created by God and for God to live through Him and to Him. And if that's the case, then it makes sense. Everything that's broken about us, we don't fear him. We don't honor him. We don't worship him in the ways in which we live. And that's why we talk about the aim of counseling being sanctification. That's a fancy way of just saying that, that we grow in our worship to God. We, we grow in our, our reflection of the character and the nature of God. We, we worship God better. We give him proper honor and due with our life. Now, I'm just curious to, to think about this because I, I, I love this setting counseling in a soteriological framework. I really don't think we can understand counseling, biblical counseling specifically, outside of a framework of, of soteriology, salvation, how we think about what God is redeeming in us. So I know I started thinking about this quite a while ago. Maybe I don't talk about worship the way that you just described it as much, and, and maybe I should. When did you start thinking about this whole process, Omri, thinking about you know, the idea of counseling 
and it being rooted in in worship? Well, I uh, started my program at the Masters University in, I think it was 2009. And at the same time, around the same time, I moved out to Arizona after I graduated college. And this was my first time as a believer in a sound church under expositional preaching. So I'm just learning really what the church is about. I was learning to read my Bible properly as a believer for the first time. And so realizing several things, one, my pursuit of God through his word was not intended primarily for other people. It's actually intended for me to change, for me to worship God and be more effective at displaying who he is in my day-to-day life. Um, That's why we come to the word of God to get the God of the word. And so I'm learning that around that same time, a book was put in my hands, The Attributes of God by Arthur Pink. And around the same time, I'm starting my studies in biblical counseling. And at some point early on in my studies, I was getting great instruction about how to think about people, how to think about their problems, how to help them. And yet some of the literature that I was reading on the counseling side didn't possess the gravity and great view of God that I was getting from the pulpit here, from books like Arthur Pink's Attributes of God. And I thought, man, something's something's missing. I'm seeing my own life change from this view of God, and I'm getting this practical help from the counseling side. And I thought, these things have to be married in a more seamless way. I think the Puritans do that better than any other group of authors. Anything you read from the Puritans is heavily theological, but also incredibly incredibly practical. And so that was really uh, when I started thinking about counseling, including this majestic, lofty view of God, and that actually being practical help as well. I love that. And, and I do think it is quite practical. Sometimes we think about worship as being esoteric, something that's out there. And we don't often think about our lives in the ways in which we live. Uh, we're studying Ephesians right now. We're walking through Ephesians at our church. And one of the, the primary phrases that Paul uses in Ephesians and elsewhere is to walk worthy of a manner for which you've been called. And he's just saying, live life in a way that's worshipful to God. And that's what we've been called to, to do is it impacts the, who we believe God to be, what we believe to be true about ourselves and the world around us is intended to be responded to in praise and glory of the name of Christ. And uh, I want you to talk a little bit about the practicality because some people hear worship and they disconnect that from something that's practical. So what practical impact does this kind of thinking that you're describing, doxological counseling, what, what, what kind of impact does it have on counseling? So there's a couple passages that I love to go to in counseling to describe this very thing. And those passages include Exodus 34, verses 5 through 8, as well as Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. And so Exodus 34, you've got that scene where Israel has received the law from Moses. Moses has come down from the mountain, recited what he heard, wrote down what he heard, read back to them, what he heard. And then they've all affirmed whatever God says we're going to do. But then 
a few chapters later in Exodus 32, they're building the golden calf. And so Moses goes and he intercedes for them. But we have this Christophany, this uh, appearance of God, of Christ in the Old Testament in Exodus 34, when he, verse 5 says, descends and stands with Moses there. He descends in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, of, of Yahweh. And what he proclaimed as he passed before Moses was Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And that's just God himself in bodily form proclaiming his own glorious character. And really what this was for Moses was assurance that he would not destroy the people as he brought them safely into the, into the land. He's pleading with God to go with them. And so God reveals his character when Moses asks to see his glory. And as he gets this glimpse of his glory, he hears the character of God proclaimed and Moses' response, like you, if you think of the counseling process as helping people understand who God is and what he requires better in counseling, then Moses actually displays the perfect response of the counselee in verse 8 when it says he quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. I mean, Moses is just compelled by the glimpse of God's glory, the declaration of his name to get on his face and worship. And I mean, what a adequate response to who God is and what else would you want to see in counseling when people's problems even become an opportunity or in one sense, take a back seat to the view that they have of God so that in counseling, they're distracted most by who God is. And then everything else is put in its proper place themselves, others, the trials and circumstances of my life. I'm just captivated by who God is. And then that view really determines everything else that I do from there. And Ecclesiastes 12 is similar when it, when it says that the, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so there you have the summation of all of life, all of man's duty really put into one phrase, fear God and keep his commandments. And in counseling, that's what we're after. We can't always change the suffering, the circumstances that people are in the midst of. But what we can do is, is point them to Christ and help them to see opportunities that they have been providentially given by God to fear him and obey him. Because that is the end of the matter. Uh, and I think that's so well said. The insight that Solomon gives there in Ecclesiastes. Now, bring this into the counseling room, right? So we, we've talked about this in, in sort of a paradigm form. And you're getting a, just a little bit more specific as you talk about the revelation of God, who he is. And we have to understand that the, the reason that God reveals himself is the expectation, right, for us to know him, but then to respond appropriately. And that response ought to be fear honor, worship, glory, as we give ourselves fully, completely to him, right? We're made in his image to reflect his character, his nature, his, his glory. 
Coincidentally, this week we learned from Ephesians 5.1 in our church, which is uh, be imitators of God, to reflect the character, the nature of God. And so that's exactly right. I mean, we have to know what bar we're after from a human perspective. What what are we reaching toward? What is our purpose? One of the things I wrote down in my notes that I'm I'm reminded of as you talk, Omri, is when we think about our primary role, it, it gives us value, meaning, and purpose to understand, to know God, to know who He is. It sets our life in an appropriate place where we see the value of it as it relates to God and, and what we live for. We have mission. We have purpose. We have meaning. All the things that we're grasping for consistently in our culture are found in God and who He created us to be. And so I think what you're after here is, is really helpful. I want you to take the things that you've talked about and, and bring that down now into the counseling room and just describe a little bit about the effect that this paradigm, if you will, or the, this focus has in the counseling room. And then when you've articulated this to some people, what are some of the basic principles that you describe in the counseling room? Yeah. So one of the things that uh, Ernie Baker was really good at at talking about in, in my training, just making sure that you have a counselee early on in counseling, um, just helping ensure that you're on the same page, your counselee is on the same page with your approach and and that they're ready to be be taught what you're going to teach. And I think that this is a, a really easy way to do that. Um, usually when people come in for counseling, they're looking to have their, their problems dealt with. If it's a married couple, it's my spouse, who's the issue? And really what putting before them the the singular goal, which is God's agenda in counseling, it really helps determine whether or not you, uh, how counseling is going to go there following. And so some ways that this has worked out for me, I remember counseling uh, a family, they needed help. The the presenting problem was their uh, young son not being able to sleep. And so as we talked about some of the dynamics that were happening there, just putting this basic principle in front of him because his inability to sleep became anxious thoughts that he might not be able to go to sleep and that would just spiral down. And it was interesting how this basic principle that, hey, sleep exists and you exist in your sleeping or in your insomnia for the glory of God. And so when you're not able to sleep, what are some other things that would bring God glory that you could do rather than anxiously worrying about not being able to get to sleep? And in God's providence, this just happened to be what he needed. And we talked through some of the things that he could do that would glorify God. Things like setting his mind on what's true, memorizing scripture, reciting scripture that he already knew. And that actually was the only conversation he needed to be able to get to sleep. And he put, as he put those things into practice, he found himself better able to sleep because he was putting away anxious thoughts in exchange for meditating on the truth. Another time in counseling, this basic principle actually from Ecclesiastes 12, trying to reconcile a husband and wife. And this was the first time that I had met with a wife with another counselor who was who was counseling this woman. And just putting this basic principle in front of her, it made it very clear. She just said, I'm unwilling. If, if glorifying God means that I have to have a hard marriage with this man, then I'm unwilling. And so she opted out of counseling. And in one sense, that's helpful for the counselor because everything that I'm aiming at, that God is aiming at, is increasing this person's fear of him. And so where there's an unwillingness to make that the agenda, that actually reveals what the counseling agenda can even be. 
And so in those, in those situations, it ended up being two very different responses to this basic principle of, are you willing to glorify God with whatever situation that he's put you in? Yeah, and that becomes the base of the matter. And if we can't look through that lens, the scriptures seem to indicate Proverbs 9, 10, how are we going to have wisdom about the the problems that we have, right? If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, if we don't begin at that place, how is it that we're going to see the problems that we have? Nobody's denying, right, even the situations that you gave, that those weren't real problems with sleep and, and marital issues. Those things are real, right? But if we're going to understand them well, if we're going to know how to walk in them well, we have to start at this place where we learn to fear the Lord, and that has to be the goal. That is essentially the the, the primary starting place for biblical counseling. I think that framework is so important, and sometimes in the modern discussion, it, we distance ourselves from it for some reason, and I think that opens us up to all sorts of pragmatism as we want to adopt different means and ways to, to approach counseling or different issues and problems, instead of setting those issues in this discussion of worship, the fear of the Lord, first. All right, those, Omri, those basic principles are very, very helpful. Now, what I want you to do is just describe from your point of view as the counselor, how has this focus maybe changed your outlook on counseling? And as the counselor, one who, one who worships, how does this change your specific outlook on counseling itself? Well, for me as a counselor, this, in one sense, simplifies my role as a counselor. I can't always change the situation, but for me to say I'm, I need to worship God in counseling, I don't have any uh, unique tips or tricks necessarily to, to offer. My job is to just get on God's agenda as a counselor and help this person do what God intends for all of us. And it just puts me on on level playing field with the counselor. We have the same exact goal in this, uh, what you should be doing with your problems, what you should be doing with besetting sins is the same thing that I have to do uh, with problems, besetting sins, uh, even in my counseling. And so just as uh, one, one friend says, being a beggar, pointing other beggars to bread, <laughs> helping other beggars find bread is I think the glory of God puts us in that context. Uh, it helps us to see ourselves that way that we just share the same purpose with the people that we're, we're trying to help. This has been helpful. And brother, I'm, I'm so grateful. Some people will say, oh man, this is so simplistic. The, the reality is when we understand the scriptures that this becomes our aim and focus. Second Peter 1, 3 starts to make a lot of sense, doesn't it? That he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. I think what happens is we start asking the wrong questions and you're helping people here to ask the right questions about ourselves and our problems, not denying the problems but we have to first set them in their appropriate context, which is, why were we made? We were made to worship and to fear God, to know Him and Him alone, and then keep His commandments in the context that we find ourselves living in. Very helpful, brother. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. Listen, I want to close out today and just remind you about the ministry of ACBC and specifically the podcast, this Truth and Love podcast. You know, each week, thousands of listeners just like you enjoy this Truth and Love podcast. And this podcast exposes more people to biblical counseling and current issues in counseling than any other resource that we produce here at ACBC. 
So I want to encourage you, if you've benefited from the Truth and Love podcast, I'd love to ask you to consider supporting the ministry of ACBC, become a partner specifically as a monthly partner. Monthly partners are the backbone of this organization. Honestly, they're a major reason that we're able to produce resources like the Truth and Love podcast and all the other resources, our booklet, solution series, and so on. So to partner with us, just very quickly, you can go down to the show notes, click the link down there that's provided, or you can, as always, go to biblicalcounseling.com and follow the link to donate. Let me just encourage you to consider supporting our ministry here at ACBC today. So grateful for all of you. Don't forget, biblicalcounseling.com.